We are live. My guest today is Doko. He is a Mars contributor and head of product at Delphi Labs. Today we're talking about Mars, the Mars protocol, the Mars hub. We're going to be diving deep into the product, credit accounts, understanding the outposts model, which they're innovating on and why they built on osmosis and also the long-term vision for the Mars protocol. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks L2s on Ethereum won't scale. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on The Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on Evmos, on Quicksilver, and I'm super happy to say that our Osmosis Validator is now live. We are not currently in the active validator set, but just two spots away from being in the active validator set. So why don't you delegate some Osmo to Interop and help us get there. My guest today, Doko, is coming up next, right here on the Interop. Doko, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, nice, nice to be here. So, uh, Mars Protocol has launched. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this. It launched, uh, I think, two weeks ago, or is that about right? Yeah, that's that's, that's about right. That's, yeah, yeah, it's close to that. And it's it's probably one of the most anticipated DeFi projects in Cosmos since Osmosis. You know, I, I think it's up there on par with that level of hype and excitement. So we're going to be talking today about uh, the protocol and diving into some of the technical bits here. Also the tokenomics and the DeFi uh, aspects as well, the finance uh, lending and borrowing, of course. But first, I uh, want to... Um, Get to know you a little bit. Uh, this is a, a bit unusual. It's the first time I do like an anon uh, um, interview, but uh, yeah, maybe tell the audience a little bit uh, about who you are and what your background is and what led you to uh, become a contributor on Mars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. First of all, I'll say at the beginning when you introduced me, uh, at product at, at not, not head <laughs> product at, at Delphi Labs. Yeah, just just to be clear with that. Thanks for um, right now. Yeah. Uh, no, of course. Um, so yeah, so what, what's my background? Um, yes, I have, you know, I'm like, uh, my background is in, um, like CS, uh, engineering, uh, I, that's what I studied in school. Um, and then, you know, I worked for several years after that in, in, um, as a financial engineer, uh, in, in kind of like the, the wall street world, um, in, in, you know, kind of like in the New York area. <laughs> And, and from there, um, yeah, so, so like I focused on several different things there. It was mostly like, you know, a global macro hedge fund. So, you know, like building, like trading, um, sort of like trading signals, economic indicators, that kind of good stuff. Right. Um, and then from there, you know, I got into product and, you know, just like always worked in FinTech and, uh, been following Bitcoin since it's early Bitcoin and, um, crypto since it's early days, to be honest, like 2011 is when I learned about it. So it's pretty early on. Wow. Uh, been always following it. Yeah. Been always following it. Be always on the sidelines. Cause I just, to me, it was always like, yeah, it, it's great, but it's got this other thing, you know, that, and then what I ended up learning over time is like all the problems that I initially thought uh, kind of like crypto had 
eventually that started getting solved one after the other. It's, it's a good, it's a, it's a great lesson of like, if humans, to me, it was a personal lesson, like if humans really get to, to do something, they eventually achieve it. Uh, and so to me, what really got me to over the line was like the introduction of DeFi, um, sent, like, uh, stable coins and even decentralized stable coins with some failures <laughs> that we know of. Uh, but that got me over the line, like DEXs, DeFi activity, like that, because to me, that was like really, really the value add and the true ethos of crypto. Cool. And uh, maybe for our audience and also a little bit for myself, like understanding the relationship between Mars and Delphi Labs and the kind of broader organization that is Delphi. So I, I know Delphi because I get their newsletter and I know that like they put out great research, but they also have this labs uh, arm that is, I, I think, is the, the, or the arm that is building Mars. Can you describe a bit of the organization here and what you guys are doing at sort of at the high level? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so Delphi, uh, Delphi, uh, Delphi Labs is is uh, an independent kind of like arm um, under falls under the umbrella of Delphi Digital, which Digital does all sorts of other things like ventures and research uh, to crypto. Um, and Delphi Labs is contributes uh, to to protocols, uh, and specifically, it's 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 one of the contributors of uh, Mars Protocol. I would say, yeah. And, and it's it's kind of unique, I guess. I mean, like there, there's a lot of I mean, oftentimes funds will often also do research, and but having I think having a fund that also has such a um, a, a a high output lab right that is that is building protocols in-house i mean you know you, in in large enough funds you'll have developers and researchers that are maybe helping portfolio companies but in crypto at least it's not it's not common for a fund to have an internal um development house right that's building product uh what's yeah. unique about delphi that makes that possible well, I would I would say that um, it's not really like that because the fund is its own entity and in labs it's its own entity. They're like separated. Uh, they're like just like different legal entities. They're separated, so they don't, it's not that like it's not like you know one of these uh, sort of like hedge funds that uh, sorry uh, it's mostly not it's not really hedge funds. It's mostly um, early stage uh, web two kind of funds that also sometimes have like developers in there building ideas. It's not like that. It's it's like they're independent from each other. So okay. lab its purpose is is literally just like to contribute either to the crypto space and push it forward basically and 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 essentially in this case contribute to mars okay and so sort of funded by of course like funded by um delphi so they're essentially funding their own products through this labs entity yeah so i, I believe delphi labs is self-funded yes okay interesting so yeah let's get into mars a little bit uh what's a bit what's the background here and how did this idea come to be? Like, what is some of the, um, you know, early ideas that led Mars to become a, a product? Yeah, so we're going back to the early Terra days, uh, which kind of precedes me. But um, so, so, but but I was definitely like a user of Mars. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think the idea, the idea behind Mars is. Um, to it, it, you know, of course, it starts initially as this um, kind of like as, as a as a traditional money market, uh, and we call that functionality in Mars as the Red Bank. But uh, but then it develops also further into um, you know like this idea of 
this 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 more this sort of like idea of um, one stop shop place where you can go as a user to do all your kind of like DeFi activity, right? Um, so taking a step back, right? So you know if you look at uh, arguably one of the most successful products in crypto so far has been centralized exchanges. So, and, so, and so why why is that, right? I mean, really the reason is is because it's like this one stop shop that the user can go to, and pretty much they can do everything on these exchanges. Um, arguably minus DeFi activities, but they can do they can do that. They can do pretty much everything on the exchange. It's got this kind of like somewhat intuitive like UX. Um, and on top of that, so that's one thing, right? It's easy and it's got everything in under one hood. And on top of that, you can get uh, in some of these like centralized exchanges, you can get um, efficient capital efficiency, right? So you can do this thing of where you can cross collateralize your positions under one account, right? So if you look, if you remember, like before it blew up, FTX has the, had this concept of sub accounts. And, and the beauty of that concept was that you could actually take one spot position and use that maybe as collateral to take a per position. Actually the cross collateralization that you have in traditional finance, you had it, you have it on centralized exchanges through that. So that's kind of like the two, I would argue the two things that make them very successful, right? Um, and so like our view is uh, we believe that crypto should like the whole point of crypto is to be decentralized, right? And so we wanna, what we wanna do, we wanna build kind of like a one-stop shop product similar it gives you a similar experience to centralized exchange where you would go and you would, can do all your activities right um and under one account essentially um that has the capital efficiency of the centralized exchanges through the cross collateralization of assets so imagine something this place that you can go you can do spot trading uh you can do margin trading you can do deep so the centralized exchange stuff plus DeFi primitives right so like farming leverage yield farming vaults you know, even potentially perps, uh, option vaults, all that under one place with one account, with one LTV, basically. So the, I, th I think I, I even forgot about this, but Mars actually started on Terra. And when Terra collapsed, then, you know, there, there was a question of where it would, it would build the next version and that ended up being uh, in the IBC sort of Cosmos ecosystem, but more more closely uh, tied to Osmosis. Exactly. Yeah. So so what happened was that um, after the collapse, uh, we really took some time to to reflect of what will be our next step. We did really a thorough investigation of like what we we try to be like as much as we could unbiased and and you know and, and do research around where would it make sense to build and. It's kind of interesting because we went through this like really deep exploration about layer twos, about, you know, like, I don't know, Solana and other, you know, like super fast, like things like Aptos and, and, and ended up, we went in like full circle back to Cosmos. So, like, this makes sense. This is like really, we truly believe in the thesis of the app chains. Uh, we, we like, uh, you know, that's also where expertise is, but like, this is like where we should be building. Um, and, and it makes sense. And we actually even published like, I think a report about that, um, Fully, fully yeah. transparent with the thought process, pros and cons. Of course, there's pros and cons, right? Yeah, it's this uh, finding a home for labs article. I think that you published a few, some sometime after after the Terra collapse, right? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great article. I I, I reference uh, that article uh, quite often um, in in when you know talking about Cosmos to people or kind of pitching Cosmos to folks. Yeah. So talking about the product a little bit. Um, you know, I think most people that have been in crypto for a while are familiar with lending products on Ethereum, like Aave, like Compound, you know, money markets in that sense. 
and have used those money markets. And, you know, even that, like if, if you think back to 2018, 2019, when these ideas were being first discussed, I think for a lot of people, it took a while, including myself, you know, it took a while to get to conjure up how, how these systems worked. And, and essentially the way they work is they work on a collateral basis. So you have, you put some amount of collateral into the system, uh, that collateral gets pooled between all of the users and then other users or even, you know, the same users are able to borrow other assets against that collateral. I think that's a model that the DeFi industry understands really well now. It understands the, um, the way that, um, both lenders and borrowers are are charged for borrowing and remunerated for lending. Uh, it understands the way that liquidity pools function. There are even now, you know, other protocols being built on top of that, like Morpho, that try to you know reduce the spread between uh, the borrow and uh, and lend rates by doing peer to peer matching. So I feel like that's a space that's been thoroughly um, explored and. And built on on Ethereum. In Cosmos, though, we don't have very many of these lending markets. I mean, there's there are a few. So there's like Umi. Um, I believe on Juno we have uh, maybe Wind or some some other. Uh, I'm not quite familiar with with the protocols over on Juno, but I think there are some lending markets there. And and then there's Mars. But the fact that uh, we have IBC connected chains, I think, really kind of introduces a whole new design space that is very different from what we know on Ethereum. Um, what, what are some of those unique opportunities that technologies like IBC and Cosmosm enable that aren't possible in the Ethereum uh, world and you know perhaps improve on what we already know in that space? Yeah, yeah, for sure, that's a good question. So before I dive, Deep, little deep in the IBC to answer the IBC side. Let me let me speak a little bit about the Mars like unique architecture, which I think kind of like would be a good leeway into that. Um, so so what we believe. So we we before I even go there, I think we have. I wanted to talk about a little bit about our thesis, right? So um, so the beauty of IBC is that it opens up all sorts of like potentials, right? And like and the thing is, it's like um, like it allows you to do asynchronous uh, transactions across different chains. And that's, and that's, and that's really, really powerful. Um, however, um, at this point in time for um, the ability to, the, the, the concept of synchronous composability is actually um, quite necessary for um, a leverage protocol to function on a specific chain. Um, and there's, there's a variety of reasons for this, um, but I think the main reasons, there's two, the two main reasons that I can, that I, that I generally go back to are, one is sort of this ability to sort of like bundle within a transaction, bundle multiple actions, right? So like I maybe within a, just, just, just to give a really practical example, when you do like um, sort of like something simple, like uh, margin trading, right? For you to do that, you have to, <laughs> you would have to like deposit collateral first, then you would have to like borrow some assets against that collateral. And then, then you would have to trade the amount that you borrowed, which is the, the short asset, right? Into the long asset, right? Um, and, and that's like three or four like different actions, right? That you have to do. Um, so you really need to be able, and at the end of those actions, you need to make sure that um, the account that you're doing these actions on is not, it's still like 
the value of the collateral is still more than the value of the debt, right? Um, so the LTVs make sense. So for you to do this uh, in 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 a, in a seamless way where you don't you can only do it in one transaction, you really need this this the synchronous composability of the chain right now. In the future, you could do it for IBC in a synchronous way, but I think right now that's 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 necessary. We're not there yet, but I think with the IBC asynchronous asynchronicity. Um, th that said, um, that's one thing. The other thing is leverage, which I think is the most important thing. Like so so with them so. What do I mean by leverage in this case? I mean, not necessarily leverage, but the ability to like liquidate, right? Um, you really need speed to liquidate. And so for you to like perform a liquidation properly and use even a concept of a flash loan, which is which is, which, which is the only thing that really allows you to achieve uh, sort, of like, uh, sort of like capital efficiency with your liquidation as a liquidator, you really need speed and that synchronous composability in order to do that. And so that's kind of like, why secret closing is necessary at this point, but things can change in the future. And I, and I would expect them to change. And I, and I think we will adapt to that. Can you, just, can you just elaborate on why the synchronous composability is necessary? But and, and by synchronous composability, you mean that all the transactions are happening in the same block, I presume. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, that's right. Why is it that asynchronicity? Because I mean, like, you know, look, in Web2, we have all sorts of asynchronicity that happens and, you know, things time out, et cetera. Uh, I think in, in blockchain, as things become more modular and chains become more sovereign and there, there are more of these kind of state machines that are independent from each other, we are going to need this kind of asynchronous um, interaction. Uh, what, what, but yeah, in, in, in sort of like that's framing the context. It, in that context, why is it such that asynchronicity is necessary for things like liquidations or just to understand, you know, what is the... What is the real kind of crux of the issue here? Yeah, it's it's just about things like if you if you do, if you remember these actions that I mentioned all in one transaction, like the depositing the collateral, the borrowing. If you were to like, for example, deposit collateral on on one chain, right, and then then like borrow on another, right, like that would take time, right? You would have to wait for the block, to essentially for for a bunch number of blocks before you get the answer that you were like that you were able to like do that, and then by that time maybe the price has moved and. Um, and you and rolling back the transaction. So that's the other thing, right? With the synchronous composability, you you wait until the end. Uh, and if the transaction, if the, all the criteria of the uh, of the transactions are met, um, you pass it. You know, it goes as a as a valid transaction. Otherwise, you roll back. You can roll back. You can't really do yeah. that in an easy way, uh, asynchronously, right? Which I, I truly believe we're going to solve these problems. I think there's are completely solvable problems. Going back to the initial thing that I told you that I've learned, we eventually solve the problems, right? <laughs> But right now, we're not. I don't think we're quite there yet um, to do it in a scalable way. Okay, so so the synchronous composability is unnecessary to do any of these actions. Um, yeah, maybe let's come back to you know Mar Mars Protocol and in that context and and how yeah. Yeah. Uh, how 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 things exist today effectively where we don't have this synchronous composability between chains. Right. No. So let so let's get to that. So essentially, the so our thesis is at this point, it makes sense that that there are going to be that there will be um, multiple def chains that will become DeFi hubs, and and it's completely plausible that more multiple chains will be successful as DeFi hubs, right? So what so that means that these these chains will have defectivity and and will have liquidity, and so when where there is liquidity and there is defectivity and there is a need for leverage. Uh, we we want to be there basically. That's the thesis of Mars. You want to be there, and that's kind of like where this whole architectural approach of the hub and spoke model 
uh, where we have Mars Chain, which is also known as Mars Hub, right? Um, that acts as a coordination layer for governance and then for fee collection and what we call the safety module. Um, and then we have Cosm Wasm's smart contracts deployed essentially on the chains that we want to be on, right? Which we call outposts. That's why this model makes sense, right? Um, and ultimately, and we can talk more about that, but that's, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd love to talk more about this outpost model because it's something that, you know, I've, I've heard many people talk about over the last months, I suppose, probably since Cosmoverse. Uh, Sunny has been talking about this as well here on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not like entirely sure I understand the difference between the outpost model and the way that protocols like Aave are managing their cross-chain liquidity. So I think that would be a really interesting uh, different. It would be interesting to kind of make the distinction between the way things are done on, in the Ethereum world with platforms like Aave and the outpost model, which appears to be more prevalent and at least more practical when you have something like IBC facilitating cross-chain transactions. Yeah, that, that, yeah, for sure. So. I talk, I talk how it works on, 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 on Mars. So the way it works on Mars is that the, so the liquidity of a chain is going, essentially stays on, on that chain, right? So like, um, so for the outpost model, we're now we're launching osmosis and, and, and so like, and we'll talk more about the, the difference between Red Bank, which is the money market functionality and the credit accounts, but the liquidity that's used there will stay there, right? So like the liquidity in osmosis stays on osmosis basically. Um, and so um, and so if we launch on somewhere on another chain, um, it, it will be the same, right? I don't know if, you know, like Injective Juno, what, any chain you can think of Cosmos, if we do, if we end up launching there, it, it will, it literally will stay there, right? So it, we had a conversation in the past where, um, and this has been asked also in the past by, by uh, some people in the community, it's um, why this, actually I think this is where you're getting at, why this versus maybe have the liquidity on kind of like the hub or have the hub act as an orchestration layer of liquidity where essentially um, you, you can have, you know, you can have liquidity on, on, I don't know, perhaps on Juno, right? And then you, and there, there's need of more liquidity on Osmosis and the hub can kind of orchestrate this and, and channel that liquidity through Osmosis somehow, right? Asynchronously. So this is entirely possible. Let's be super clear um, within, within the current universe of, of Cosmos. Um, and through and this is and through IBC and, and and this is also why it's powerful. However, it's more it's not necessarily a technology uh, limitation because it's possible. It's more like a risk uh, thing, like because different chains are going to have different risk parameters. Um, you know, like some chains might have bridges on them, right? Some chains might not. Like some chains might right. have more liquidity than others, right? So the interest rates when you go you, when you build a money market, right? The interest rates that you're going to get on a chain are gonna be reflective essentially of their liquidity, of the risk parameters and then all that, right? In the moment that you start channeling out the liquidity from one chain to another, what ends up happening is you're subsidizing interest rates of one chain with the other and users on one chain are taking more risk than, um, than they, than probably they're, 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 you know, they, that they sign up for, right? Like I'm on this yeah. chain, like, you know, I'm, you're essentially like challenging, moving subsidizing interest rates and, and, and there's a reason why the interest rates are different, right? So. Uh, yeah, so th there's that risk consideration to make. Now that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that someone can come and build a vault, right? That does that. That just looks at interest rates on a chain and versus other chains. Does some like delta neutral thing. Um, so, sorry, um, 
yeah, uh, hedging thing, you know, where like, you know, you're not taking like one position over the other and then tries to arb this kind of interest rate. Someone could do that. Um, not against that, but that would be an explicit type of strategy where essentially whoever's sticking their money into that knows that that's the risk they're taking, right? Versus the chain versus Marsop doing it aromatically. And that, that wouldn't be like a good uh, risk proposition, I think, for the users. So just so I get this straight, in the outpost model, the the hub, right? In this case, the Mars hub is a central point of liquidity. It has contracts on other chains that it is interacting with through IBC. Whatever liquidity, so let's say I'm a I'm an Osmosis user and I've got liquidity on Osmosis. Now I want to, you know, I want to I want to borrow, I want to borrow some. Uh, I've got some 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 USDC. I want to borrow some Atom, let's say, and I want to do that through Mars. Well, one way I could I could do that is just to send over my Atom over on on Mars, and uh, I could I could you know do do that lending borrowing operation. Um, but I think from a user perspective, what we're getting at here is we're saying, okay, this liquidity position that I have on osmosis can be can be leveraged as collateral and this is where it gets interesting right with these integrations where you can say okay this liquidity position that you know sits on osmosis and sort of has to live on osmosis can't really move or it's 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 kind of tricky to move it let's integrate mars into osmosis such that for the user it's it's very simple right they have one button that that liquidity uh position um gets uh added as collateral on Mars, and then they can then borrow some assets and you know do some sort of a leverage on on osmosis, right? So like take that take that collateral and uh, and trade it trade it for some other assets. So this is the kind of user experience that we can achieve with these outposts, right? Is that where we're getting to? Well let's let's be clear. I don't know if I misheard you, but um, the hub does not own hold any liquidity. The hub, the Mars, the Mars hub, hub chain, yeah, the Mars hub, the chain, Mars hub chain, um, all it does, it's responsible for um, setting governance. Um, so through governance, it can update smart contracts, it can change like risk parameters on the outposts, right? So the outposts have smart contracts, right, deployed on them. Um, and then the Mars hub is through governance can, you know, can, can pass changes of risk parameters, of deposit caps, um, whitelist new assets, right? Um, can and update the the, the essentially the, the, the smart contracts, but um, and on top of that, it the way the hub works essentially is that um, the 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 fees, the protocol fees on the outpost, um, get channeled back to the hub and they get distributed to um, to the um, to the stakers, right? To Mars stakers on the hub, right? I mean, not all and not all the protocol fees goes to go to them. There's a part, there's a fraction that goes to the safety fund and. Um, yeah, and so I would say that, uh, but it's it's important to understand this is the model. It's basically, it's just like this hub and spoke model as the hub is kind of this coordination layer of governance and then fee collection um, and, 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 of, and and ultimately holds also the safety fund. Um, and then, okay. then eventually we'll, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there is actually no liquidity in any case, there's no liquidity on the hub. It's all outposts. Exactly right, yes. Okay, interesting. So. We're going to get back to the Red Bank in, in just a second here, but when when I'm interfacing with the Red Bank right now, and I, and I didn't get into the 
I, I didn't get to put liquidity on the Red Bank because I was, uh, you know, I, I, I was too late, and and now the, the allocations are, are filled up. But uh, we're raising, we're raising been... the caps. We're raising the caps. There's a governance proposal on chain to raise the caps, so you, you'll, you'll you have a chance. Okay, so so if if I'm doing that uh, and I'm moving Adam, let's say, into Red Bank in order to be able to borrow USDC or something of that matter, like that. I'm actually not moving Adam there, right? or how how is that actually working? Yeah, so um, you so the way it works is that the outposts that are going are essentially smart contracts deployed on the chain. Uh, in this case, in osmosis, and um, okay, and the, yeah, so osmosis yeah. is facilitating is acting as the as the uh, outpost in this case. Yeah, the outpost is osmosis, basically. Uh, yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, I see. Yeah. So osmosis is the you know the the primary and kind of first outpost that you guys are are are, are launching there are others or will be others just that currently you've built this kind of privileged in integration with osmosis yeah osmosis is the first um there are going to be others in the future um but to be honest I, there's a lot of work we to further do on osmosis right now so we're very focused on that and we're very excited to be working with them they're a freaking awesome team yeah absolutely they are uh so yeah so just going back to this to this outpost model uh what what are the what are then the uh so we have the this osmosis outpost that is holding li liquidity for uh, borrowing and lending. Now, if, if, if there's another outpost that's, I don't know, on, on like, like um, Windex or something like that, or some other, some other Dex, and, and you have an outpost there, how is that liquidity, is it effectively separate liquidity or is it getting pooled somehow? Or is there some mechanism that allows that liquidity to act as one pool of liquidity? And what are some of the complexities and having to deal with many different it's, outposts? Yeah, it's it's separate liquidity. Um, it, it's it's like it's its own kind of like outpost with its own liquidity, um, and it's like a separate chain. Um, and then they're not commingled. There's no yeah, as I was saying earlier, there's no like subsidy sub. You know, there's no like uh, coordination of liquidity through the hub. It, they're separate like outposts with separate liquidity. Um, there is a safety module we have on the hub um, where it, it when it sent to what, it, what it does, it collects uh, a fraction of protocol revenue. And whenever we deploy on a new outpost and it acts sort of like a backstop in case, because there's like bad depth, uh, governance can decide to deploy some of the assets of the safety mm -hmm. module to, to, to cover that, right? Um, and, um, yeah. And so like, eventually when you expand to other outposts, uh, governance can decide to, um, ex extend the safety module to those outposts as well, but, um, and, and eventually vote if there's a situation of bad depth and all that, but that is, that is the model this, this, for, as of now, uh, the liquidity is, is isolated basically. That's interesting. So when doesn't, doesn't pooling the liquidity somehow impact the, the price of that liquidity wouldn't having more liquidity in one place make it cheaper to borrow and just sort of make things overall better for for DeFi users yeah that, that's what I was 
I was saying earlier. Uh, so if you do that, and again, as I said, like it's not a technology problem. It can be done. Um, but if you do that, you end up um, one one use essentially like one outpost ends up subsidizing the interest rate on another outpost. Like for one interest rate to go down, the other one is to go up, right? <laughs> so someone is losing. Someone is gaining. Someone is losing, right? And then the question about interest rates, you have to ask yourself is why are interest rates different between you know different outposts, right? Different chains. The reason is, is there's all sorts of considerations, right? The liquidity is different. The risk is different. And then so as a user who's providing, who's depositing perhaps into Mars or is borrowing, sorry, sorry, into um, an osmosis outpost or borrowing uh, from the Red Bank in the osmosis outpost, you're, 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 you want to be exposed to the risks of osmosis. You don't want to inherit like the, and subsidize, you know, like the risk of another chain, right? So yeah, that's that so th there's there's like a risk component around this, and again, it's not that it can't be done. It's just about there's risk considerations that need to be done, and then eventually in the future maybe maybe like you know there's there could be a solution like a vault or something, but um, but it's not it's not it doesn't make sense from a risk perspective to do this thing right now at this point. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, all right, so we sort of come back full circle to the initial problem. <laughs> uh, I, I realize. Okay, no worries. Hey, so how would this vault work then? I mean, what are some of the mitigative solutions here since we don't have atomicity and you know, uh, synchronicity between chains with different states? Vault, you mentioned vault, so I'd like to understand how, how that might work uh, and some it's other just, solutions. It's just an hypothesis. Like you, you could build like this kind of like vault uh, that, uh, and I haven't like architected or anything, but it's more like you could build like a specific vault that does this thing where it grabs an interest rate, like, you know, borrows from one, from one outposts and deploys to another outpost, like taking advantage of different difference in interest rates. Uh, but there's complexities around that too, because it's, it's asynchronous, right? So like, you know, you, you know, you gotta, you're limited kind of the risk there. Um, it's just, uh, just a thought, you know, like it could be done outside of an orchestration layer on the Mars side, essentially. Yeah. Is there? Do you think that this ends up? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious as to kind of the the market dynamics that this creates, and trying to wrap my head around how different it is with uh, how different it is from, uh, say, Ave and the, and the way that composability between chains is being managed there, where. On the on the Ethereum side, you you have Ave. It is pooling liquidity from uh, different Ave deployments on other chains. I'm not exactly sure what the bridging mechanism there. And I don't. Is it synchronous the way that they're the way that they're doing it, or is it asynchronous? Do they run into the same problem essentially? Yeah. So I am. I'm to be honest. I'm not familiar if how they're doing it. If they're doing it, if it's synchronous or synchronous, and how often they 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 make that. Um, yeah, but to be honest, I believe I personally believe they're segregated. I believe that like each individual like chain, it's kind of like this this model that we're talking about. It's like each individual chain is is segregated. I have to go back and review it, but I think they're segregated as well because there's complexity and the complexity is always the same around shifting liquidity from like one chain to another. Okay, yeah, yeah. and so does it does it introduce that? I mean, because you know, if there's if if all the liquidity, like if you look at the DeFi ecosystem in Cosmos, most of the liquidity is in osmosis. Now, okay, you're going to have some uh, secondary and tertiary exchanges with less liquidity and maybe less activity. 
does having to, to what extent does this push users to want to use exchange or AMMs that have you know the most liquidity because and and I think this kind of compounds when you start adding more features and more outposts and more functionality like lending and borrowing etc um do we end up in like a winner take all kind of scenario or do you think that the secondary exchanges are going to continue to be relevant i i personally believe that um there's going to be uh multiple DeFi hubs that can be equally successful um which each it it's just going to have its own advantage and and um and then features and protocols built on top, which might be slightly different. I mean, there's order book ones, there's like AMM ones, um, you know, and then like, and, and there's, you know, like there's always this argument which one's better, you know, uh, uh, but yeah. So I, I like it, I think, you know, it, in the same way there's a lot of centralized exchanges, you know, and then, and you know, they're doing, they're offering the same product. It could be multiple DeFi hubs that are successful to be honest. Yeah. I, I think Osmosis also wants to do outposts on, uh, on other Cosmosm chains. Yeah, I yeah, I do like yeah, I don't know the, the the detail of that, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh okay. This is, this is like I'm 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 I I must admit here. I'm 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 learning as I'm going here because I Mars is not a protocol that I've spent a lot of time um researching and and so I'm kind of figure out also how this works and building my mental model around it uh, as we're having this yeah. conversation. Uh, I, but yeah, yeah. I, I would let me just add one thing. I think the main reason why liquidity is segregated uh, across different chains, even for things like Aave and Compound and all that, the main reason and, and it's because literally what hap the, what happens is like in the moment that you start um, unifying the liquidity, creating this co or coordination layer of liquidity, you're only as secure as the least secure chain where you're on basically. Absolutely. Cause that's a get that gets yeah. hacked. Then like all the liquidity funnels there, like automatically. Cause you know, like, and all of a sudden, like <laughs> you're just like, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're only as secure as your, as your least secure point. Right. So that's, I think that's the main reason why um, we're not there yet. Hmm. Does the, does the hub do price coordination as well between these uh, between the different outposts or is it not involved in that at all? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you mean by breast coordination? Well, is is it acting also as uh, uh, an oracle to align pricing between the different? Because it, it feels like if it's connected to all the chains, it could also maybe serve a role in um, homogenizing prices between different chains. No. Yeah. So I think you're talking about like uh, sort of like price oracles um yeah if, if yeah yeah so i to be honest i don't know if, if the hub is providing that kind of service but I, but i but you know but there is um you know there's there are specific price oracles out there that eventually i think it'll get you know to cosmos so things like uh chain link pith that do that they're pretty good at doing that yeah what i mean is like since the since the mars hub is connected to all these DeFi hubs uh to all these other DeFi chains it could act as an oracle. So if Osmosis wanted to know what the price of some asset is over on another chain that you have an outpost on, uh, that output that outpost could be getting the price over on that chain and feeding it to Osmosis such that it creates, it's like an additional layer of data that the Mars protocol by virtue of being connected to all these other chains can provide to 
to the ecosystem of chains that's connected to it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's look at the products then. So there, there, there are two products. There's the Red Bank and there's Fields of Mars. Uh, yeah, can you describe the two products and then we'll, we'll go a little bit more into detail for each. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the Red Bank is has it's, the, it's like a traditional money market type of functionality, like the Avis that you mentioned earlier. Like it's pretty much similar, right? Uh, a user can deposit assets uh, in in the Red Bank, and and they can borrow assets using the assets that are deposited as collateral. So they have like you know, that there is um, all for all the assets that deposited under their account. Essentially, they have uh, a health factor. That's how we call it. It's essentially just like a max LTV of the account. And of course, they can borrow uh, over collateralized, right? So that means that um, the value of their collateral is superior to the value of their uh, depth by a certain margin. And if that kind of like, uh, you know, like margin is hit, um, then basically they, they can be liquidated, right? Uh, so, so to make sure that the protocol is always solvent. So traditional knowing market functionality, not, nothing, nothing new at this point there, if it makes sense. And and then, so the, the next piece of functionality, so, so we have released that, right? We released that, you know, raise the caps. So we're raising the caps there as well. Um, and then that's 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 pretty important piece of functionality, pretty important solid DeFi primitive uh, to achieve leverage. And you know, so like I think I think like it's it's fundamental for a chain like Osmosis to have. The next thing we're releasing uh, soon is our credit accounts. Credit accounts are a new DeFi primitive in Cosmos. Um, essentially. It's it, going back to the analogy of the uh, centralized exchanges. It's kind of like think of it as like a um, sort of like account where you can um, where you can do all your DeFi activity on it, right? So, um, so the potential of that is that you can do things like um, margin trading. You can do things like um, leverage yield farming. You can do things like you know leverage vaults. Um, you know, in the future maybe even potentially perps, right? And, you, and each individual asset that you're holding in your account can act as collateral for another asset, right? Um, so that's kind of like the concept behind the credit accounts. Um, so how does it, and, and, you can, and you can essentially borrow, um, you can achieve leverage on the credit accounts um, that, is, um, that, that is like two, three X or, or potentially more of the, the amount of deposited collateral that you have, right? So in that sense, it's not, um, so the account will always be over collateralized, right? And I'll explain to you what that means in a second. But um, from a user perspective, he's getting more, he's basically able to borrow multiple with, with um, you know, with leverage that's like more, that has more value than his collateral uh, in his account. So which is, that's, that's quite innovative, if that makes sense. And we can talk more how that works. Yeah, yeah. So maybe just explaining how, how this looks like from the user perspective. So let's say on Aave, you want to, borrow some ETH, you would deposit a, um, you, it's sorry, sorry, if you want to borrow USDC, so you want to borrow $100 of USDC, you would have to deposit like $150 of ETH or something like that, right? You have over collateralized. And this is money markets on crypto as we've known them for years. With Mars though, uh, you would be able to, to borrow 100 USDC, you could borrow, you could, deposit $50 in collateral or some lower amount. So if in effect, it, it, it kind of feels under collateralized, but what's actually happening is that those borrowed assets, you're not just taking them and like moving them to another chain or like, you know, 
doing whatever you want with them. They are sitting inside of a contract and that contract has specific functionalities that it can allow. And so the assets that you will be borrowing with that money, which is essentially what you're doing with a credit account, you're, you're, you're getting that call out, you're getting that, that um, you're getting that, that money in order to be able to, you know, leverage it to do something else, right? Like purchase some other asset or invest in some other asset or yield farm or something like that. Uh, the, the contract itself will be over collateralized relative to the collateral that the user put in because those borrowed assets are also going against uh, the borrowed position. Is that a good way to describe it? That's a perfect way to describe it. You got it hundred percent right. Okay. Like so, the short, the short synthesis is I can borrow more than the value of the assets I deposited. So from my perspective, it's under collateralized, but Unlike Ave, I can't take the money and run. <laughs> the, it's 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 the, the money that what I'm borrowing is stays in the account, right? So yeah. that means at the account level, at the smart contract level, it's actually over collateralized, right? So because it's there, because the account, because through the account, you only have a specific set of white listed actions, and if you want to withdraw, you can. But when you're withdrawing, it's always making sure that you still are over collateralized within the account. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And does that at any point, I mean, does that, does that account, so you can, you could add more collateral to that account, which would then increase your ability to borrow or your ability to leverage for the user. What, what kind of leverage, what, what multiple leverage are we looking at here in terms of what the protocol will be able to uh, allow? Yeah. So that's, that's a good question. So, let me start by saying that. Um, so and let me let me throw a little bit of terminology out so that people are, are, are clear, right? So yeah. the credit account primitive, uh, we're calling that the rover. So the rover credit accounts. So then when people hear rover, that's what it means. But a rover is also the name of the contract. So, <laughs> you know, but anyway, so the rover credit accounts. Um, within rover, the credit, credit accounts, there's things you can do like margin trading, leverage yield farming. So we're only going to allow one functionality at launch for now. Uh, which is going to be leverage yield farming, okay? And we'll talk more about how that works um, later on um, in a future really in a future future time. You know, we're going to you know enable the other functionalities like margin trading, cross collateralization, all that. But when we're starting, you know, we're starting with just this because you know it's a new primitive. You know, there's this. You know, we just want to make sure we're, we're being responsible. Um, now, with that, to to get back to your question, um, how do we determine how much leverage the user can take? So um, we actually. Um, uh, published a, um, a risk framework um, that, that we believe it's quite innovative, um, that it's, it's pretty comprehensive way of looking at how we assess sort of like, how do we determine the amount of leverage that a user can take against like um, assets, right? And in, in this case, leverage your farming, you're, you're, the asset is a vault, right? It's, it's an Apollo vault. But how do you uh, how do you do that, right? And so there is the, the methodology walks through the whole, uh, you know, um, the framework walks through the whole methodology. Um, and um, and again, that's just like um, an initial suggestion, of course, and, and what we think makes sense to follow. Uh, of course, anyone can can suggest through governance either a different methodology or an update to the risk frame to the, to the risk framework, so to, to, to risk parameters. Um, but that methodology is actually quite conservative. Um, and if you look at what are we going to be launching to begin with, we're going to be launching um, Apollo vaults, auto compounding vaults on Osmosis LPs, passive liquidity, um, and and there's only two vaults that we're launching right now uh, that we're going to be launching. One is Osmo Adam, uh, 14 day uh, locked uh, vault. And the other one is um, Osmo Axler USDC, 14 day 
And if you look at the risk parameters, they're quite conservative. You're not gonna be able to do lever more than two and a two, two and a half, uh, close to three X leverage. Um, I would have to look, but it's it's around, it's less than, it's, it's around three X leverage at most that you can do. And that's the most that you can do. Um, and of course, if you're gonna do that, I would encourage everybody to be responsible because like higher leverage means higher potential return, but it also means higher risk. And the risk there is you get liquidated. So like, but that is the maximum leverage around around that around that number, basically that parameter, 3X, which means that if you deposit $50 worth of Osmo or Adam or both, you can only, actually or one of the two, you can only, you would be able, you're, you would be able to borrow up to $100 so that your position is like 150 with $50 of collateral, right? If that's 3X. It's around okay. that. Okay. So can you maybe just describe this leverage yield farming uh, and how that works? And is it is it leveraging Apollo? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way it works is this, right? So so it leverages uh, leverage yield farming leverages uh, le the, the Apollo. Uh, so Apollo is building and releasing soon um, auto compounding vaults, which what these vaults do is that they allow users to take a position in in um, in an LP on osmosis. Uh, the vault will have a specific lockup period. So like if you take like Osmo Adam on the 14-day vault, it will lock your assets for the 14-day lockup period. Um, and then all it does is basically, um, I mean, what it does is basically um, uh, collects their words, uh, I believe on a daily basis and auto compounds them. Um, I, I, I don't know, I, don't, I, think, I think it's daily, but I need to double check. It auto compounds those rewards, right? Um, and that's basically how it works. It's just an automation tool over DLPs. And so... And so what we, what, after the launch, when we launch our rover, what we'll be doing is we'll be whitelisting these two vaults, the 14 days of those two. And, and the typical user experience, which I think is where you're getting at, is going to be that a user will come on um, essentially what we call farm, right? The field, you're farming the fields of Mars. <laughs> um, and he will open an account, a credit account, a rover account. The pot, it will be seamless for him, that process, but he will essentially pick an asset he wants to deposit into the account, um, which Osmo, Adam, or Axel USC is one of the three whitelisted assets, um, and then pick the amount of leverage he wants to take, right? So does he want like 2x leverage, three, you know, if it's 3x, 3x or less, I don't know. Um, and then what the system, what the system will do, the front end will do, will borrow the other asset, right? So if they're, they, they can deposit Osmo, Adam, or, or both, right? And then pick one asset to, to borrow uh, from the Red Bank. Um, and so then it will borrow that asset. It will kind of use a zapper and make sure that it's 50-50, put it into an LP, and then stick that essentially into the, into the, into the Apollo vaults, right? Um, so the user will have in his account um, the vault, um, LPs with the amount of like, uh, with his exposure, right? I don't know if he started with $50, maybe he has 150, right? Um, and then it will have the, an amount of depth that he owes the right back, basically. Okay. I hope that and was is clear, the, wasn't too much. Yeah, better. is the idea here also for, like to what extent are these strategies built by the Mars team? And to what extent can say in the future, uh, users of the protocol suggest or build or propose uh, strategies for other users to use? Is, is there a social component here that might be interesting to explore in the future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think uh, we want to encourage anybody that has an idea um, of, uh, of building a vault, right, um, for, for, for Mars. And, and we want to encourage them to engage with us on Discord, um, show us the idea, 
Um, and, and then, you know, like if, if then we can be, you know, like there's, the, there's, the, there's different things we can do, but basically the idea is like, yeah, anybody who has a good idea wants to build a vault, we absolutely encourage the to initiate that conversation with us. And, and if, 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 you, you know, like if, if the vault is a good idea and, and gets voted and all that, then, you know, like, and it goes to governance, um, and then we can assign a risk parameter to it and we win eventually whitelist it from ours. So I think, I think it is definitely, um, it is a crucial component for other people to come in and build and help us build these things. Yeah, for sure. So what are the, uh, what are the risk parameters that get taken into account when evaluating a uh, strategy? I mean, of course, I understand right now you guys are building these strategies and, um, and have most of the control over those strategies, but when when de when determining which strategy is a good strategy and which white label service uh, is uh, uh, allowed in uh, the uh, the vault, the rover vault, um, or maybe sorry, in the in the rover account, uh, what what kind of things are you looking at in terms of determining what is the level of risk? Are you looking at the stability of the protocol that you're interacting with, or like the the, the security of the chain? Is it at that level of the stack or is it mostly uh, financial risk, such as like the amount of liquidity uh, in these, in these, uh, uh, in these liquidity pools or the, the, the APYs or well, what's the, what's the level of, of, uh, of depth that is being you know, taken into account when, when looking at risk parameters? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so first I would say that generally vaults um, are an automation tool, right? So for example, in this case, it's like the ability to collect rewards and auto compound them, right? Um, and then, so that, that's what they do, right? Think about the urine vaults and all that, right? Um, so, but, to, so, and anybody can come up with an idea and can sort of like, you know, we can discuss about it and, and you know, I mean, and it goes through governance and then, you know, you vote for it or not, right? So the risk parameters are the same, right? The the risk methodology that's that's, that's out there again, uh, you know, like um, how does that? I can tell you how that works, but again, that's that's like you know, like it, it's not set in stone, right? That's just like a suggestion of a methodology to be used. Anybody can come in and suggest another one. As I said earlier, but the methodology itself has qualitative and quantitative components. So there's like things like you know, um, uh, smart contract risk. Um, there is things like you know, uh, uh, sort of like. Um, so, so just these qualitative components, right? Um, uh, yeah, and and then I can't come up with other ones right now, but there's like a bunch of them, and it's it's in the methodology. And then there is like sort of like so these are qualitative, but then there's like quantitative components, right? So and the qualitative generally are like things like yes and no, kind of like that doesn't meet does it meet this criteria? Yes. Uh, okay, let's move forward, right? It's they'll meet the criteria generally, like and it's all transparent, it's all there. But basically, if, if you meet the criteria, like yeah, then then we'll, let's look at the quantitative ones. The quantitative ones generally are things like um, we use this, we use a concept of uh, sort of like value or risk, which is really used the traditional finance, and we just look we just look at, that just tells you kind of like um, um, the risk associated to price movements of of, of that asset, right? Um, there is also things like liquidity adjustments, right? If this is a bridged asset versus a non-bridged asset, if it's like, what's, what's the current liquidity and the depth of that liquidity uh, on chain, right? There's all these adjustments, but uh, from this kind of like value at risk, right? Um, and, but ultimately what it's trying to tell you, if you think, if you take a step back and without getting too much into quantitative stuff, ultimately the goal is um, how much, uh, like, like how much risk uh, how much should this collateral, in this case, the vault is the collateral, right? How much, it, like, how much do we um, 
trust this collateral to be like um, kind of like an asset uh, that uh, that is um, kind of like that doesn't that doesn't like move uh, that, that that that's price risk is kind of like um, the volatility that it has. It's probably associated to like the amount of like to the, to the value we want to give to this collateral, right? Plus the considerations to make on its liquidity, basically, right? And on top of that, it's, and it's not to be clear. I just want to add one thing, mm-hmm. and it's not just about this kind of like these qualitative components of the risk parameters and all that, and it's uh, and, and the max LTVs, right? So the the amount of collateral power that we want that to have, right? It's not just that. It's also about we also have another risk parameter, other risk parameters called the, that we call deposit caps, which limits the exposure of total kind of like um, assets that total like exposure to that asset, basically, right? So uh, you know, for example, like, you know, when we talk about raise the caps that those are deposit caps, basically. Um, and that protects you from all sorts of other risks, you know, uh, as well. Um, yeah. One, a big one being liquidations, because when, uh, when you're, when you have an asset, so like the way liquidations work, right. The liquidator will pay a debt asset and will ask, uh, will ask a specific asset on the account that is collateral. And then generally the liquidator, you know, is delta neutral. So what they'll do, they'll, they'll sell that asset, right. So if the spread, if if the um, slippage that they're getting on that asset is higher than you know like the liquidation bonus they're getting on it, it's not convenient for them to do that, right? So that's a consideration that goes into these deposit caps, right? If if like for the accounts are risk, if they were get most of them get liquidated, you know what would be the slippage, right? And would that incentive would that be make sense for liquidators, right? So you you got to balance these things. Essentially, a risk um, a leverage protocol is it, it's, it's really important that gets the risk methodology right. And that's why we spent a lot of energy into that. And we're open to suggestions like to improve it and all that from the community. So, so Fuel of Mars is really the, the initial product that brings some amount of innovation, I suppose, because I mean, the, the, um, the Red Bank is a lending protocol. You know, we've, we've seen these sides of, these protocols exist in crypto. Uh, the Red Bank, I think, is really where a lot of the sorry, the fields of Mars is really where a lot of the innovation is coming from. Is the idea here for platforms that have outposts, so the osmosises, the wind windexes, the loop finances, etc., is the idea for these uh, protocols to also leverage uh, Mars to build their own? products in-house using the Mars platform or would that building mostly come from the Mars team uh, as they deploy those contracts to uh, existing uh, chains? Yeah. So as of now, um, you know, Mars contributors are like, I think they're planned to be responsible for deploying outposts um, on future chains, but we're talking about uh, you know, like the future right now. Like, yeah. So, um, like, uh, basically, yeah. in the future, will there be like a Mars SDK that allows chains to deploy an outpost and you know build all kinds of innovative DeFi products, leveraging the tools that Mars provides? Yeah, I, I, it's not planned at this point, but anything is, is possible, basically. Yeah. Okay. But is that is that the product vision long term that that Mars is? Because I'm trying to understand like what is the benefit of of you of you know what is the benefit for a chain to be connected to Mars? Uh, 
the, the benefit of the chain is yeah yeah, yeah the, the benefit so, so first of all like i think like you you hit uh the hill in the head the nail in the head when you mentioned that um the greatest innovation is the de DeFi primitive of the credit accounts that's for sure um and and ultimately the goal of a chain to have an outpost on is to gain as we discussed earlier to gain capital efficiency um and so like and 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 Kind of like, yeah, because that's what leverage does. Leverage ultimately hel helps you achieve capital efficiency um, and you're, you're deploying capital in a more efficient way. But on top of that, it, capital efficiency is not just about the use of leverage. It's also like the ability to cross-collateralize assets in, in an account, right? So it's like this gain of capital efficiency through leverage and cross-collateralization. That's essentially what Mars offers, right? And and then on top of Mars, then I would I would say, I would also add, because we didn't discuss much about that, it's not just about the credit account itself and the functionality that it, it, that it has, that it has. The credit account itself is an NFT, um, it's transferable, and there is all sorts of protocols that you can build on top of the credit account itself, potentially, right? Um, you can build like secondary market on the NFTs, you can build like, you know, money manager type of functionality between the red bank, you, you, even on the red bank, you could build uh, yeah, there's all sorts of like, you know, uh, sort of like stable lending. Uh, there's all sorts of awesome protocols that can be built over both primitives, essentially. Yeah, but my, the, what I'm trying to understand is, let's say I'm, you know, Seb Chain and I'm a massive DeFi protocol. Uh, I, you know, like an AMM, for instance, and I want to build in a lending protocol. I could take the Mars contracts and deploy them on my chain and, and essentially own that uh, whole part of the DeFi stack uh, without Mars. Like I, I wouldn't need to be a Mars outpost if, because what, what I've learned here is that Mars is a coordination mechanism, right? So there's governance and, and things of that nature. But what is the real benefit of being connected to Mars uh, other than just like what it is building in the protocol, which is, which is open source and can be deployed right on the chain? Yeah, so you so you can definitely do that in the same way that you can do it Aave and other protocols, right? And any other protocol, basically, you can just like fork them and and, and launch them on a chain. Uh, I think uh, there's going to be there's several advantages. Uh, the first one, the first one that comes to mind is, as I said earlier, the safety module. So when you connect to the Mars, when you're connecting your the outpost to the Mars hub, essentially the safety module can cover bed depth, right? potentially so like you're kind of like adding that kind of insurance which which scales really well as chains grow and the safety module accumulates fees it, it gets easier and easier at chains because it and, and you have that protection which is big insurance right so that is huge advantage that you have already against someone else and on top of that we're adding we're going to add soon like a uh, backstop module which it, it's a further strengthen it further strengthens essentially the concept of um the safety module where if you are a uh, staker in mars protocol um, and the, the safety funds are not necessary are not sufficient to cover a, a loss um, of the depth, right? You you can get slashed, right? And your a percentage of your tokens can get slashed. They can be sold back in the market um, to to cover those bad depth, which does a really important thing, which is it lets it it, it makes um, stakers in Mars have skin in the game. So if they if they make so if governance makes bad decisions on governance parameters. Or, or on risk parameters or, or like what assets to whitelist and all that, they ultimately pay the price, right? So it's this, it's this like, it's just this thing that if you add more chains, you get this scalability, which to me, it's really, really important for a leverage protocol or for a debt protocol. Okay, no, that makes sense. Like, yeah, the having this backstop, uh, I think is, a, is an interesting aspect, but also 
having this form of insurance that ensures that uh, you know that the 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 collateral uh, um, yeah that you 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 have you have this insurance backstop that is that that is the security module uh, that is essentially like what is it, it is kind of the service that Mars is providing to chains that connect to it right. Yeah, it is the core of the value proposition. I mean, other than the code that you guys have written and that, that you provide to chains that uh, leverage the Mars protocol, this this uh, yeah. pooled security, this pooled uh, capital in the security model is kind of the core of um, of the the value proposition of being connected to Mars. I say it's one. Yeah, it's one. It's one of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But there's other things we're going to build in the future, Mars Hub, and you know. So stay tuned. Yeah, being part of the being part of an ecosystem yeah, has yeah. has its advantages as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. Yeah. So something you mentioned at the top of the episode that uh, I wanted to also ask you before we wrap up here is, you know, you 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 said that you think that uh, L twos on Ethereum won't scale, and so I want you to expand on that a little bit and describing why you think that is. Yeah, so let, let's be clear. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I believe, like, so first of all, I, I believe that L2s are actually... Awesome. I, I paraphrased um, it, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's it's an awesome um, expansion of Ethereum, and I think it's it, they make a lot of sense. There's a lot of advantages they have. Um, the thing that I do wonder, and it's, it's I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, I believe they can scale. I, and in fact, they probably will, especially, um, you know, if the ZK technology gets, gets up to speed, right? Um, I, what I'm challenged a little bit with is the centralization of sequencers, the sequencers implied, right? Um, cause like right now they're, they're hyper centralized entities, right? So I do wonder, so one of the, there's several value propositions that they have, right? Um, trustless, like, you know, bridging and all that. But, um, one of the values propositions is like that they're fast, right? But they're fast because they have a centralized sequencer. So the question I have is, um, you know, once that becomes decentralized, can they maintain that speed and that value proposition, right? And I don't know, to be honest. Um, again, as we've as we've said at the beginning, like as long as you put your head into something, eventually you'll build it and it will work and you'll solve that problem. I think this is a solvable problem. I just think that that's the only challenge that I see there to solve, which I think everybody knows as well. So I'm not really saying anything particularly new, I would say. Well, what what do you think are... Um... Yeah, what do you think might be some solutions there? I mean, do you think we can actually decentralize sequencers? Uh, and I mean, for me, you know, as as I spent you know quite a lot of time in the crypto space and looking at ways people try to engineer the engineer their way around decentralization, it, it just seems that every everywhere you turn, there is like another thing that needs to be decentralized. If it's like if it's if it's not validators it's relayers and if it's not that there's going to be sequencers and you know then you're looking at okay interoperability right so like we need uh we you know, at first we needed um bridge operators to you know be decentralized such that um there wasn't like a, a one entity that could leave with funds and that, that introduces like more decentralization so like you know at, at which point does this become an endless uh an endless Sort of battle, you know, constantly trying to decentralize systems that, you know, might be more efficient if they were centralized. 
You know, it's it's a really good philosophical question. Um, I will tell you that in the end of the day, uh, what is it? What is it? In, how is it in English? Uh, perfect is the enemy is the enemy of good. So, uh, you know, I, I think in, in my experience, you want to work towards the 80, 20. Uh, you're not going to, if you're going to, if you're going to achieve perfection and send decentralized everything. And uh, it, it, you know, I'm not saying ideally you get there. Right. But, you know, sometimes you're going to make, sometimes, sometimes that's not the best solution. Like you mentioned, right. Sometimes there is some level of centralization that could be acceptable depending what it is. Right. It's all a matter of risk and it's all a matter of optimizing that 80, 20. Um, and once you have that, you really, you can't optimize for everything, right? You have, you have to get to a point where you're comfortable. You, you were able to accept the risk of what you cannot optimize basically. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true, but, uh, I, I think there, are, there are forces in this space and certainly like a lot of people who try to push the narrative that if and not, if everything is not decentralized from, from day one, it's basically useless. And I think that's wrong. I think that the thing, things that have been successful oftentimes started as not so decentralized, but then decentralized over time. Um, and, and then there, there is, I think a happy middle. Right? If you look at uh, the, the entire cosmos space and the security model of the cosmos space, I think is a, a, a sufficient uh, middle ground in terms of decentralizing the, the validator set and having finality in fast blocks versus, you know, Ethereum and all the complexities around the consensus there where, you know, you have very uh, decentralized validator set, although under the hood, under the covers, you realize that most of it is Lido, but, and, and, but, um, but where essentially that, 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 that fully, you know, wanting to be fully decentralized actually creates complexities in terms of block valid block finality and like two slot finality, et cetera. Uh, I can't remember who it was that came on the podcast recently. I think it was, yeah, it was our, uh, uh, Rick Dudley who, you know, said something to the effect that, you know, Ethereum spent seven years trying to scale and trying to do so in a decentralized way. But in the end, you know, that, that they really gained so much from, uh, wanting to go all the way to towards decentralization, you know, could could Ethereum have achieved as much or not more had it had it scaled quicker, but compromised on on those uh, very rigid ideas of decentralization? And it's yeah, an important I mean, philosophical question. I think like one that lots of communities in the space have have been wrestling with for a while. Yeah, yeah, but to be honest, it's it's a good it's a good uh, sort of like. Uh, goal to have uh keep it in mind and and absolutely and work, toward, and work toward that i think that's we, we should take that instead of like saying you know hey it's not fully decentralized this is like thing that's not decentralized so it doesn't work and no man like it's a matter of risk right everything uh that is not perfect or it, it adds risk now the question is are you willing to accept that risk and then do you understand it right so eventually we want to minimize all the risk possible but you know it doesn't mean something something is not perfect doesn't mean it's not you know it, it doesn't work right so yeah. I, I'm completely agree with you, basically. So as as um, as we've been chatting here, I'm I've been thinking about what this product effectively brings to the next wave of of DeFi innovation, and 
I was also thinking about you know FTX and what most people were using that what a lot of people were using that platform was which for which was leverage um, and 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 you know the, the entire thing sort of collapsed because of leverage. Also, to some extent, Terra uh, collapsed because it was overly, uh, or like the, the the anchor product was like a highly highly leveraged product. Um, is the next wave of DeFi products just more leverage, but on chain, where like traditionally centralized exchanges have been fulfilling that user need, but now we're going to have it on chain? Yeah. So I'm gonna answer your first part of your question first, then then I'm going to get to the second one. Uh, the first part being uh, sort of like leverage um, causing essentially FTX to collapse and Terra. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think, I think there's more than that <laughs> made FTX collapse. There's a whole of sort course. of like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So not necessarily, I would just, I wouldn't say it was just leverage. It was, yeah, it was improper use of people's resources. Like, most important to be, if you ask me, the reason I mean, there were leverage. I mean, like internally, right? There was like yeah. leverage internally. It was like users on the platform, but like the, right. it, it was misproper use of of leverage internally in FDX that caused it to collapse. Exactly, and so like the question is, right? Would you have been a user of, of FTX had all their activity being on chain, right? Like if you would have known exactly what they were doing, would you have been a user of FTX? I can tell you, I, probably no, no one would have right <laughs> with all the stuff that they were doing right so um they were just like taking users deposits and you know i mean like if your activity is fully on chain which means you're it's fully transparent like it is with DeFi, like there you remove i think the main re the, the main obstacle right the main reason why the main risk of that ftx that the, the centralized exchanges like ftx pose there's no transparency you don't know what they're Absolutely. doing right you just have to trust yeah. them right um so there's there's that right so for for Terra collapse, I mean, um, I would I, I want to talk about like there's two ways you can use leverage, right? Um, there is responsible way of using leverage, and then there is like massive leverage, right? Even going back, so my background is traditional finance, right? Even going back to traditional finance, like you know the 2008 collapse, right? Like massive leverage on then credit false swaps and then derivatives and all that, right? So so then people would say like, man, like leverage is bad, but really the problem there was also transparency. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for sure. And massive leverage, like these, 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 these banks were taking like 20, 30 X leverage, I mean, massive leverage. Yeah. I mean, there's a point where it doesn't make sense. You can't, you're, you're, you're the depth, like your, the risk that you're taking is so high and the service that you have to, the, the depth of the service is, is it's just like, you, you make one tiny mistake, you're done, right? And the whole system collapses with cascading in a cascading way, right? So versus a little bit of leverage, it's always been good. Um, and it's been like, it, it's used properly, right? It's always been good. Um, I mean, the whole point of the our financial system in, in the West, right? Of the ability to lend, it's what has made us, had Renaissance in Italy and had the West grow the way it has grown, right? So I would argue a little bit of leverage is good. Uh, like, I don't know, two, three X, something like that. <laughs> and a lot of leverage is massive risk. That's that's what I would say. So, and in the case of like, you know, Terra, like, you know, they're like, um, it, it wasn't just that it was also kind of like, you know, the, the economics of the system. And then, you know, which was like, yeah, uh, which was susceptible, susceptible to attacks. Right. Uh, which was seen. And, um, th there's all sorts of things that happened there that like caused that. Uh, but to be honest, it, to me, it was more like the, the whole anchor concept was maybe not sustainable to be honest. Yeah. 
in the way yeah, in the in the in, in the current in, in that way, right? Maybe they could have like made modifications and made it more sustainable. I think over time. Yeah, I'm I'm using leverage here in a sort of hand wavy way in the sense that I mean, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I no, but you're right. I think I fully agree that, and and this is one of the things that after FTX, I think a lot of people in the DeFi space and crypto in general, uh, this was this was part of the narrative was that uh, sure that you know. FTX collapse, but this is exactly why we need DeFi because it is transparent. And so with DeFi, you do see all the transactions. You do see where the liquidity is. You do see where, I mean, you have perfect transparency over the entire system. And so therefore are able to make more informed decisions or have services that help you make more informed decisions in terms of like how you're going to leverage your collateral. And I think that makes more sense. I, I, you know, from, from a, from a, from a protocol uh, sort of product perspective, I do worry that you know if we end if if DeFi summer twenty twenty four is just a bunch of you know mega degens um, over leveraged and then you know there are cascading liquidations and like people lose a ton of money that the, then you know there's going to be some challenge in terms of. Um, crafting narratives to to defend that and of course then regulators come in and um so uh, as yeah. a word of caution i think i think uh it, it's more it's more as a as a as as a word of caution to you know let, let's not let's not get things out of hand here where we have like massive massive leverage and massive pain in the next in the next cycle no, for sure. I mean, but this is kind of like the the, um, the whole, you know, the whole financial system is the same concept, right? You have people that take leverage, you have speculators, hedgers, you know, they both are important in the system, you know, both provide liquidity. So it's the same here, you know, like ultimately you want to give the users to like the ability to get capital efficiency and then make the whole system more efficient. That's ultimately the goal. I mean, if, just to give you a really banal example, like you can have a pool on osmosis that it's not yielding a lot, right? Uh, but it's maybe it's it's a crucial one that's got two a stable pair, right? I don't know. Um, through yeah. it's not sexy, but you know you can lever it up two x. I mean, I'm not saying anything crazy. And all of a sudden, you know, the APY is interesting, and now there's more liquidity, and it ultimately gives better trade, uh, you know, better uh, trades, trading prices to people, right? Less slippage. So you can get all this sort of capital efficiency if used in a good way, in a responsible way. Ultimately, it's up to the people, but it's also up to the protocol designers to make sure the risk parameters are built in a good way, and they're you know evangelizing you know the risks that are involved with leverage because a lot can, can be risky. There's no doubt for sure. Um, yeah. But to answer your further, your initial question. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this is what we're going to see. And, and I think this is the reason why uh, the, sorry, the transition from centralization of trading activity and then sort of like uh, crypto activity, right. From of, in exchanges to DeFi decentralized finance, which is, really where it should be. Um, and I think that's what we'll see more and more. And that's, that's what Mars is trying to, is trying to do is trying to give users this like amazing user experience where they can go into one place and then do all their defect activities uh, in a capital efficient way. Great. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's a great note to end on. And uh, so I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving me uh an overview of Mars. I've learned a lot here and hopefully on, you know, for the next one, we can dive even deeper in some of the, the economics. Um, but also hopefully by then, you know, Mars will have 
uh, continue to grow and we'll have like significant usage and you know, lots of chains uh, onboarded. Um, you know, someone here was asking when, uh, when, when Mars on wind and maybe just quickly here, if you, if you want to address that, if you have any insights here. I, I don't, I don't have any, unfortunately, I don't have any insights. I, I wish, uh, I think for now we're, uh, in the immediate future, we're, we're focused on osmosis, which again, I'm going to say it again, they're an amazing team, awesome chain. Uh, there's a lot that we can do there. Uh, we're, we're just, we're just starting. Right. So I'm really excited to keep working with them. I, I think they're, they're great. They're, they're just an amazing chain. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on once again and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.